Uh, hello. 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 How's it going? Good. Good. Sid, thanks for coming this time. You're welcome. I'm so sorry I couldn't make it last time. You're not that sorry, though. I mean, I had fun. (laughs) (laughs) I missed you guys, though. That's so sweet of you to say. Of course. Even if it's not true. (laughs) I did miss you. I didn't like not being in the podcast. Yeah? You wanted to talk about all the foreign films that you haven't seen yet? I've seen a few. Okay. She's probably seen a lot of the ones we talked about. What did you talk about? You didn't listen to it? No, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not that she missed us. It's that she misses the fame of the podcast. I miss it. So the fame has really gotten to me. When I was in LA, everyone was just like, oh my gosh, are you Sid from We Watch Movies and we talk about them? I was like, yes, please leave me alone today. I'm trying to have fun with my friends. It's oh, just wow. it's, it's just life. too stressful. All the yeah. people that approach us on the street. And All the paparazzi. Ugh. Horrible. Horrible. Paparazzi. You know what? You can take sneaky pictures of me. I don't care. But just don't ruin my day over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's a position I'm going to carry with me, right? Like, what are they, they going to take a picture of? That's going to be so horrible. Like, oh no, he plays Overwatch in his underwear for four hours a day. Like, yep, do that. <laughs> Who cares? Own it. <laughs> um, I guess before we get too far into it, hello and welcome to episode 41 of oh, We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hi. How's it going? I'm feeling lots of emotions. Yeah? Yeah. You're not showing them. Well, I'm feeling them. Cry right now. Do it. I'm not going to. On the spot or you're out. No. My emotions are real. <laughs> <laughs> and at my left hand... uh Mostly just in the podcast, and sometimes not even then by Sid. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. Sid, let's get a uh, let's get a quick jaunt over to the uh, existential dread oh, scale. No. We missed out on that last week. I got to tell you though, we watched Persona just before uh, recording the podcast. I feel like that may have just like actually tipped you over. Oh yeah. That movie's rough <laughs> when it comes to existential dread definitely so probably good that you gave that one a skip yeah how we doing today now remember audience our baseline on this scale is right around a 65 percent see my emotions are very confused after watching this movie i don't know if i'm happy or if i'm sad uh i'm at a pretty solid 79 that's not too bad. That's not too bad. That's me. not too bad at yeah. all. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm just confused on what feelings I'm feeling. Here's the thing. If we can avoid breaching that 80%, I think we're in an okay spot. <laughs> I think the only time that I went over was midsummer. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. But I'm doing okay. That's good. <laughs> Folks. I got to tell you, this one's going to be a ride. This episode is going to be probably a little bit of a roller coaster. Uh, because I saw this movie um, several years ago and I enjoyed it. 
and I was expecting to enjoy it this time. But I've got I've got some unexpected opinions. Are we, are we going to tell the people what the movie is? I guess they see it on the Yeah, I mean, title. it's on the episode title. <laughs> but today we are talking about Spike Jones' uh, love story, 2013 feature film, Her, which stars um, a strong contender for top five sexiest lip bites ever put onto film by Olivia Wilde. <laughs> she she's incredible in that scene and top five sexiest lip caterpillars by joaquin phoenix yes <laughs> <laughs> also top five uh weird uh pregnant naked scenes <laughs> i don't know how many of those there are but this this is gonna be up there I'm sure there's got to be a few. There's probably more than five. So for it to make the top five is an accomplishment, wow. right? Congratulations. Good job. That's a huge honor. <laughs> the Oscars, who cares? You got top five best weird pregnant naked scene. Yeah. Rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to make a new category for that. Listen, if we can get best popular film proposed, <laughs> why can't we get a best weird pregnant naked scene through the ringer, right? Can you imagine the movies people would start pumping out just to get an Oscar? I I don't want that many movies that have weird pregnant naked scenes. No, I'm just saying, like, you think about it and, like, Leo does The Revenant exclusively to get an Oscar, yeah. right? I mean, I'm not saying it's not a good movie, but he does it to get an Oscar. Yeah. Like, people do movies all the time for the express purpose of getting an Oscar, Another day in the neighborhood, or whatever the frick it's called. What's it called? Um, Just an um, average afternoon in the neighborhood. I don't know. The freaking Tom Hanks, uh, uh, Mr. Rogers one. Movie made exclusively to win Oscars. So I'm just saying, we could really uh, pull the wool off of people's eyes about the phoniness of the film industry and the fact that people are oftentimes disingenuous in their filmmaking, for example, Green Book, and that they make things exclusively to get Oscars. And we do this by introducing a completely ridiculous Oscar category, which is top weird pregnant naked scene. And we see how many movies instantly start cropping up with weird pregnant naked scenes. Can't wait. You're watching um, Paddington 3. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just saying. Then you see all of these desperate actresses getting pregnant so that they can do a weird pregnant naked scene. It's just. And then we get an influx of population and then we don't have enough resources. Christian Bale gets pregnant somehow. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis becomes a single mom for 15 years. <laughs> I'm just saying, these are the kind of things that you would see happen. <laughs> We're going to revolutionize the industry. I can't wait. This is going to be great. <laughs> Thank you, Spike Jones, for the gift you have given us. Uh, but no, we're talking about uh, Her by Spike Jones today. Uh, we are going to fully, fully spoilerize this film, which came out in 2013. Uh, so if you haven't seen it in the last six years, uh, I think we give it a recommend. Definitely. Okay. 
Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, and then feel free to come back and listen to us because we're going to be talking a lot about this uh, film. I don't know why I turned into like Dime Store Mario there. But, like, <laughs> a lot about this uh, film. <laughs> I don't know. Too much MasterChef. Joe Bastianic is rubbing off on me. I guess so. He doesn't sound like that at all, but he's nope. Italian. <laughs> I don't know. I just like to type MasterChef into things. <laughs> MasterChef can always be a part of anything. It's true. It absolutely can. I've been talking about MasterChef a lot this week. Yeah, I brought it up like three times today. <laughs> <laughs> Not even joking. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about ravioli today. Hmm. Got me talking about MasterChef. I was just talking about TV shows, and oh. I brought up MasterChef three that's times an, that's while an, talking about TV That's an easy gap to bridge. <laughs> Sid, sure. how much MasterChef do you watch? Almost none. That's a shame. That's a real shame. You have Hulu? Yeah. What are you waiting for? Um, okay. But start with like season six or seven, and then go back yeah. to one. Watch six through ten, and then watch one through five. Okay. Yeah. Season one isn't very good, so don't no. start with it. Actually, okay. maybe just skip season one altogether. It's kind of <laughs> trash. Okay. No problem. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about her today. Uh, the movie Her. Not. I'm not saying we're talking about her like some person. The movie is called Her. We're just going to gossip about her. Yeah. Ooh. But we're not going to tell you who Her is. Who are we gossiping about? And it's her? one of our listeners trying to figure it out. Can we gossip about Uma Thurman? Um, she really should have shaved her feet for the close-up in, um, Kill Bill. Does she have hairy feet in Kill Bill? Like, it's not terrible, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I remember her big toe had a few stray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just propping up unrealistic beauty standards. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't have any other gossip. Okay. Well, we'll just have gossip. to talk about the movie then. Uh, format of the podcast. This is how it goes. We will do some hot takes which is a condensed version of our opinion of this film. Following that, we will have some in-depth discussion of the themes and technical aspects of said film. Following that, Sid will regale us with the best of the best of IMDb movie trivia. She read every single item of IMDb movie trivia so that you don't have to. And she'll give us the best ones. Following that, we give our closing remarks and we will rate the scale, or rate the movie, on a scale from 1 to 10, placing it on the Weston scale, which is the only definitive way to rank movies on a scale of 1 to 10. That will conclude our discussion of her. Following that, we will move on to other topics, other movies that we've seen, things we've been watching, primarily MasterChef discussion at this point, um, and any other movie news that we want to cover. And then we will end the podcast and almost definitely go watch MasterChef. <laughs> yes. <laughs> does that sound okay to you guys sounds fantastic all right well since becca sits in my right hand she starts with everything so audience do yourselves a favor and don't burn yourself on these hot takes becca how hot is your hot take it's pretty hot. Spicy. It's super spicy. Dude, are we talking like it's Chipotle? Are we talking adobo? Are we talking... A ghost pepper? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's real spicy. Actually, I know the ghost pepper is hotter than the other ones. I don't know what's hotter between any of the other ones that I said. Uh, me either. <laughs> I'm white. Everything's hot. Salt sometimes. A little too spicy for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I knew that I would love this movie and I've been waiting to watch it for a really long time, but it just blew me away. It was so amazing. And I think I just, I don't know. I love movies that like are just about like the human condition. And this one absolutely was. And like Sid said earlier, just like so many emotions. I did not cry like the other two. Shame. But the tears were flowing on the inside. <laughs> it's not a thing. Yes, it is. Uh-uh. Did you at least get choked up? Yeah. Well, it's I can't affect I I can't like force myself to cry or anything. Like I was definitely feeling it, but I just didn't cry. I don't know what to tell you. No. But it was amazing. And like I don't really know what else to say about it without just like talking about everything in it. Sure. So I'm going to keep my hot take very short and just say that like I loved it and it touched me on so many levels and like uh, it just was amazing. Makes you question a lot of things that we'll talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. Sid, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty darn hot. (sighs) I love this movie. I saw this about a year ago, and when I first saw it, I was just like, eh, I didn't really like it. Like, Joaquin Phoenix kind of gave me the creeps. Like, it was just a weird movie. And then over, like, a few months, I realized that I was still thinking about it. And just, like, always thinking about it, I realized that, like, it was an amazing movie, because it is. And just, like, watching it a second time, it's, I don't know. Because, like, thinking, like, watching this movie, I'm simultaneously so happy and also so sad. And it's just, I don't know. Like, it makes you feel good, but it also makes you sad. (laughs) It's kind of one of those movies that, like, changes the way you look at life. And, um, just, it's, I don't know. I just love this movie. I love it so much. That is a spicy hot take. And I cried like a baby. That's a spicy hot take. Thank you. All right. How hot is your hot take? The mystery or the the mystery in the air is thick because I've said that I have some unexpected opinions. Dummy thick. Are we going to hear that now? The the mystery in the air is dummy thick right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I can't hold off sharing any of my opinions. Let's hear it. Um, even having seen this movie and enjoyed it the first time that I saw it, which was probably right around when it came out, uh, I was blown away by this movie. Like, I mean, it's been happening for a little while and this has definitely, uh, I guess increased the altitude, but Joaquin Phoenix is slowly climbing the ladder uh towards being my favorite actor um i mean i'm not even i mean i don't really know who it is right now you got your you got not ryan gosling you got well yeah you got ryan gosling you got um daniel day lewis but he's supposedly retired after phantom thread we'll see if that sticks um you've got brad pitt but he's he is slowly climbing the ladder and i think he in this movie and in everything he does he's just such a dynamic 
uh, character actor. He manages to paint these really complex portraits of people. And I just want to see everything that he's ever done, ever, all the time. Uh, Sid, have you seen You Were Never Really Here? Yes. That's been one that I've been really wanting to watch recently. He's really, really good in that one. Didn't he win Best Actor at at Cannes for that? I know he won Best Actor at one of them. And it's actually like a really cute um, video of him getting it because he didn't realize that he won. Oh, really? So everyone's like all excited. Probably because he doesn't speak French. Um, everyone's all excited and they're like looking at him and like it just like slowly dawns on him and he looks so excited and I love him. And his lip caterpillar in this is fantastic. Love that caterpillar. It's gonna crawl off your face. Let's hope not. Leave it there, Joaquin. It looks great. You rock it. It does. I don't like just mustaches. I I was, you know, you know what I was thinking? I think that tomorrow I'm going to shave down to just a mustache. Yeah. If you can maintain it like that, like I always tell you, you got to keep it trimmed right above the lip. If you can, if you can do that. For those of you who have never seen me in real life, I have quite a hefty beard. Yes. Um, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm going to go down to a mustache tomorrow. It's a Saturday. I can sit with it for a day. I don't have to go anywhere tomorrow. Do it. I'm just going to sit. I, and if I end up just clean shaven by Sunday morning, that's fine. But maybe I have a mustache. Who knows? Joaquin may have inspired me. I want to see it. All right. Um, but this movie um, it probably rides the scale up as far as like one of the more flawlessly constructed movies that I've ever seen. And I think that equal to Joaquin's achievement in acting is Spike Jones' achievement in directing and writing here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because this is a movie where you really do feel everything. And you go through these emotional highs and lows with the characters and... Uh, they don't have to tell you what anything is like because they make you feel it. Um, the flip side of that is that this movie, I mean, it, 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 it makes a lot of statements and it says a lot of things, but there's also a lot of things that it is about, but doesn't really take a stance on. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the great strengths of it is the fact that it just acknowledges so many things um i mean i think the the biggest and most obvious one in this case would be just like the sheer complexity of dating in the age of technology and relationships and like not even just dating but just like how complex our relationships have become as things that are not people have taking greater and greater roles in our lives as a whole, whether it be a phone, a computer, video games, a car, um, just like anything that's not a person, basically. Like, if you think about it back in the day, I mean, but if you think about it, like, think back to like the 80s, you know what I mean? Like, people were pretty much everything. Like, yeah, you had TV and movies and stuff, but like, our lives are just dominated by things that are not people and that makes things really complex uh when it, that makes relationships really complex because 
we're juggling our relationship not only with people but with technology and with these inanimate objects and i think that one of the greatest strengths of the movie is that it doesn't take a stance on that it doesn't say like this is wrong but it acknowledges it and it's kind of the premise on which the movie is built and there's a handful of things across the runtime that the movie just acknowledges in that matter and i think that gives it a really relatable and uh i guess a vivid emotional palette with which to paint i think that's why like Sid said, you can't really get it out of your head. Like I just watched this, but I'm sure I'll be thinking about it for a long time, but because it, it presents these ideas and these, um, potential issues, I guess, with living in a world full of technology, but it just leaves you with them. Mm -hmm. And so you have to think about it and you have to decide how you feel about it. Yeah. And that's what makes it so effective. Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when Theodore is leaving work one day and Chris Pratt is sitting with his girlfriend and he's like, we should do a double date sometime. And Theo's like, oh yeah, my girlfriend's in OS. And he's like, cool, we should do something fun. <laughs> <laughs> like just totally rolls off of him. And then like contrasting that with the scene with Rooney Mara uh -huh. and how she uses that as ammo to come after him i don't know yeah well just um i guess jumping into it uh one thing that i've been thinking about a lot so i am doing a lot of research right now and one of the things that i'm researching is very similar to this i'm researching with robotic pets and how they can um, reduce loneliness and anxiety and agitation in older adults with dementia. And there's just a lot of similarities just thinking about technology and how quickly the world is advancing and like what are the ethics surrounding that? And like, is it okay to let a 90 year old woman with dementia believe that a robotic dog is a real dog? And it's hard to like navigate that and decide like whether that dog is real to her or not. And like the conclusion that I've come to just like with my research and also with this movie, I think is just that like, like feelings are real. Like you don't have to like, no one's saying this OS is a real person. And that's not like what I do in my research either. We're not saying this is a real dog. We're saying this is a dog and they can decide for themselves what it is to them and i think that this movie says that a lot that like it just is all about like perception is reality it's all about what you're feeling and how you perceive your world and technology can bring real emotions and real feelings like and i think that's something that maybe we're not ready for you know yeah maybe in a way yeah, I mean, and I mean, I stand by what I said where like one of the strengths of this movie is a lot of the things that it doesn't take a stand on, but I think that that's one of the very few things that I mean, it's really the entire thesis of the movie is that you know, if you feel something, it's real. Yeah. And I mean, it, it comes out in that scene with Amy Adams where uh Theo is talking to her and he asks her if she thinks it's a real relationship and her answer is i don't know i'm not in it and 
then i mean she delivers like what i think is essentially the you know if you were to like break this movie down into one line it would be her line after that where she says you know that she'd been thinking about all of this for a while and the the conclusion she came to is that we're on this earth for such a short time so what she wants is to feel joy mm-hmm. and like wherever that comes from is not artificial like that's real mm-hmm. and like it's all about like I think being confident in yourself and your choices and your identity. Yeah. Like if you want it to be real, it can be real. If you don't, it doesn't have to be, but like making that conscious choice and we see him make that choice and watch him struggle with it. Um, but like, I think that's another side note side lesson that we can take from this is just that like, like the importance of like, making that choice of deciding sure. who, what you identify yeah. as, as well, a human being. And I guess the caveat that I would put to that is like, yeah, the movie says like we should feel joy like that. If we're going to live through this life, then like we should be happy. Mm-hmm. But the movie also makes a very explicit point to not forgive immaturity and emotional immaturity in the, and like, if you hurt somebody else in the pursuit of your joy, like it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't pretend that those kind of things are okay. And for a lot of the movie, like Theo is very emotionally, uh, immature. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, it it never once is like, yep, this is cool. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're all on a journey and like, you need to grow and find actual joy kind of a thing. And no matter what your choices are, there are consequences. Yeah. And like Amy Adams says, you're not going to make everyone happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are things that were definitely like, you don't want to be a total dick, but like yeah. some things you just kind of be like, this is what I want. That's okay. Yeah. You know, like maybe don't like be a Nazi or something. Yeah. I was just going to say, don't commit like mass genocide or yeah. uh, just uh, don't be a dick. Yeah. And that's what I said. I like, I think that the big overarching uh, theme that I would put there is that like it, the movie is it, it's very explicit in the idea that like hurting others is not okay even if it is in the pursuit of your own happiness like if you uh, like if negative consequences come from your actions like you're still responsible for that and that's not a good thing yeah and yeah, yeah. Um. so I mean I guess we're in I was going to ask who wants to get started but I guess yeah, we're kind of in. Through, we're kind of in already, huh? <laughs> That's usually I usually have to be like, so who wants to get started? Let's talk about the movie, and then I have to like coerce you guys. But you're jumping in, and this is good. We yeah. love it. There's just like I don't know. Like I feel like this is a very intense movie with its emotions and the things that it makes you feel, and it's like kind of hard to unpack. So hopefully, this isn't too serious of a podcast. This episode. <laughs> no way, dude. Um, I guess I will ask the question, do we want to do, uh, technical aspects or thematics first? I feel like we're already on themes, so let's just finish it out. Finish it out with themes. Okay. Let's roll with themes then because, uh, spoiler alert, there is a lot of technical prowess going on in this movie to accurately and effectively communicate the themes that we will now be discussing. 
Yes. Unless you want to get the technical stuff out of the way. No. Um, All right. I'm good to wait. Um, so, Becca. What? And Sid. Yeah. What is this movie about? Well, I kind of said it in my hot take. I, I, there's a lot of things that it's about. And you can take it as many ways as you want, I think. But for me, I feel like it's just about like the human condition and something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is like what it means to be human and what it means to feel and like have those emotions. Um, and it explores that a lot. And I think that's like, I mean, an obvious through line is just what, yeah. what it means to be human. I'm a big fan <laughs> of movies that deal with what it means to be human, which is why I like Blade Runner so much <laughs> oh i had no idea yeah is that your favorite movie uh no is that one of your favorite movies tree of it's... life is my favorite okay yeah. excuse me that's <laughs> all right so because it's about the human condition in the most literal sense yes Sid, what is this movie about um to me this movie is um kind of just about love and loving what you love and just kind of being able to find love anywhere where I mean like he's looking for love just with a normal just like a human woman and that didn't really work out so then he finds love with this OS and and then he finds love with just like his friend so I think it's kind of just about how love can seem unconventional to others i mean i'm not saying like it's unconventional to be 45 and be in love with a 15 year old that's just illegal but like there are some things that are just like the law is only a barrier to our love (laughs) age is just a number (laughs) um so i think it's I don't know, because, like, some people, like, looking in from the outside, kind of along the lines of um, that um, line that Amy Adams had of, I don't know, I'm not in it, where you just don't understand someone's relationship, and that's okay, because, again, like, you're not going to make everyone happy with all the decisions you make, Um, and as long as you're not, you know, mowing over people and hurting feelings, like, do what brings you joy and if that's love go for it so just got so excited she punched her microphone punched it <laughs> across the room it didn't go across the room that's a lie i don't understand why cool though i don't know why you feel like you need to lie to our audience to make myself seem cool like over dramatize events on the podcast yeah man just keep it exciting well, yeah there was like that one time where i don't know i had like a weird pain in my neck and i yelled <laughs> i think i just broke my neck <laughs> Oh my gosh, guys. Becca literally just punched me in the face as hard as she could. Yeah, that, that totally happened Crazy. right now. Um, that's interesting as well because I think that I find myself uh, kind of splitting the difference between your two takes on what this movie is about. Um, the movie that kept coming to mind for me while watching this, and I think they would make an excellent yet... Uh, distressing double feature uh, was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm. Which 
also it deals with uh a lot of the same themes i think because i think that really what i caught in this movie in addition to i mean like there is a lot going on about like what it means to be human and all that kind of thing but um and it definitely is you know a love story a la 500 days of summer uh although much better than that film uh that's a good film though it's fine yeah um i saw this as really it's it's theo at a very difficult and important crossroads in his life and it is about the idea of um i guess realizing that life is full of all kinds of experiences some of them are good and some of them are bad and the purpose of life is to learn from those things to let them become a part of you and to just try and live your best life um in spite of the bad and you know with some help from the good but i think that there's uh there's a few scenes that i want to mention in eternal sunshine which is one of my favorite movies ever i love that movie so much and i i honestly credit that movie with like helping me grow up like stop being a a child and start being an adult um there's basically the premise of that movie is there's a company that allows you to erase people from your mind and uh so basically they go in and like just zap your memories and eliminate a person from your mind so you take in all the things that remind you of them and then they sit you down for a night and then when you wake up you just don't remember the person and basically, uh, the movie goes on this journey of Jim Carrey deleting, um, I just lost her name. Help me out here. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. And basically they realize he he's like semi awake during the process and like keeps coming in and out and whatnot. But basically towards the end he realizes that he doesn't want to delete her, that he's okay with having the good memories and the bad and whatnot. And there's a scene where they're at this beach house and the beach house is crumbling. And that crumbling is a representation of his memory being destroyed. And, um, they say to each other, like, I think he says to her, like, um, this is going to be all gone soon. And she says, I know, what do we do? He says, well, enjoy it. And they go and they run on the beach and they have fun. And like, it's that idea that like nothing good lasts forever and life changes and things come at you, but you need to be able to accept that idea that nothing is forever and that you need to be able to move on. Now, that said, the ending of Eternal Sunshine, I think, is even more poignant because it comes after both Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey have erased each other and they meet up again and start falling for each other because there's a lot of chemistry between them and they find out that they have erased each other and um, Jim, like the, you know, they're, they're starting to date again and 
um, they find out that they've erased each other. And Kate Winslet is like all freaked out by it because she starts saying all these bad things about herself. She's like, well, I'm going to be erratic and I'm going to be crazy and it's going to bug you. And, um, and Jim Carrey just says, I know. And like that idea of like, there's good and there's bad. And like I said, you need to be able to move on from the good when it's time and be able to roll with the bad when it comes so I, I guess my long-winded, very roundabout point that I'm trying to make is that we see Joaquin Phoenix in a moment where he is refusing to move past the good, uh, like when the time for it to end has come. And that's really his journey here is that process of maturing and being willing to move on with his life, which is something that he... Uh, hadn't previously allowed himself to do. That's what I think the movie's about. Hmm. <laughs> I took way too long to say it, but <laughs> who cares? I ramble. Are you new here? <laughs> no, yeah, I can definitely see that where it's kind of just him reevaluating the relationships in his life because thinking back to the movie, Every time that they show a flashback of him with his ex-wife, it's all like happy memories. And the only time that he starts to think about the the bad memories is when he's talking to Samantha. And um and like you still get flashes of um when he's thinking on the happy times like when they're signing the divorce papers, but then kind of reality comes back and she kind of attacks him and um you know, picks at his relationship. So there are some cases where the good and the bad aren't always outweighed and um it's just not a good situation to be in but then it also like can help you appreciate the relationships where it is a good balance between the two yeah well and the the dividing line between the good and the bad is not always super clear cut right Mm -hmm. like anybody who has an ex understands like this movie like puts into film so well that feeling that you have of like, you know, having had a a serious relationship, like the, the imprint that that person has on your life. And like, no matter how ugly the relationship ended or how much you hated each other at the end, like, you know, a year later, five years later, 10 years later, uh, literally all you ever think about are the good times like and that's that's what sticks with you and this this movie does a really good job of showing that weird balancing act that our brain does where it it decides to forget the trauma and the the hard things and the reasons why it didn't work and you you tend to remember these people as you know with like the rosiest of rose colored glasses and that's just, I think that's an interesting phenomenon that our brain does that, I mean, like the brain is built to protect us, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it's not an uncommon occurrence for people's minds to like completely just block out trauma. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think that it's belittling to say that like a really bad breakup is traumatic and the brain will block that out mm-hmm. and fill your mind with the things that hit you with dopamine and it's just it's a very 
especially in the time immediately following the breakup it's it's such a i guess confusing mindset to be in where and especially if they are breaking up with you like if you're the one getting dumped in a serious relationship like it's just it's such a confusing and isolating and lonely place to be in and i think that this movie so beautifully expresses that mm-hmm. and then again well i, I get you were going to talk go ahead no, you're fine well it's it's funny that you say that because i was going to say like the ex- exact same thing but like with a more negative spin like i feel like our brains like we kind of fantasize the past and our past experiences and like you see all of these memories that he has that are just like so perfect and like i feel like when we like our memories are not exact pictures of what happened they're what we want to remember and so like we can fantasize the past and so i think that he was doing that and i mean i'm sure yeah like a lot of those experiences were so good and so good but like um if you're out of that and you need to move on like i think his brain was fantasizing about the past and like that adds to loneliness and hurt and yeah for sure pain because it's so easy to do that well like i said it's just it puts you in an like an extremely confusing place yeah for sure and that confusion is isolating because you're right we do we romanticize things and we make them seem better than they were and so you know he's left with this picture perfect memory of or not even not even picture perfect he's he's left with these really flowery memories and none of them are even complete like mm-hmm. we get these little you know two to three second vignettes of them hugging or laughing or dancing or whatever. And like the world can't live up to that. Yeah. And like I said, like that's so isolating because everything around you is not that. And we think that that's what our life was like before this thing. And now after, like it's just impossible for the world to even live up to that add that in with just like the isolation inherent in modern life. And like I said, the, the enormous role that technology and computers and everything play in our life. Like it's all these compounding effects that just lead to this uh, just emotional anxiety. And the movie portrays that so 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 well like i said it doesn't it doesn't come out to you and there's not a narrator that's like the 21st century is extremely uh, you know the youths are anxious now because they don't think they can find emotional fulfillment in this world and it's a really sad time it's like it it shows you this person experiencing that and through the directing and the editing and the music and walking phoenix's performance it shows you that so even if you're not somebody like us who comes out and talks about movies afterwards and points these things out, you come out of that movie empathizing with people who are in that situation a little better, whether you are in it now or have been in it or will be in it or whatever you come out of this. When you run into a friend who is depressed because you know, the, like I said, just the crushing anxiety of modernity mixed with 
any other thing that's going wrong in their life. Maybe they're stressed at school or their job sucks or their relationship is falling apart. The movie puts you in a position to better empathize with that person. Mm -hmm. And that's something really special for a film to be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I like, I don't know. Well, like, here's a question, I guess. Um, I mean, we're talking a lot about him and like he's in this emotionally fragile state when he meets Samantha, an OS that is designed to basically tell him whatever he wants and learn from him and yeah. learn how to give him what he wants. And I don't know, like I've already expressed how I feel, I guess, about um, technology. And if it's real for you, it's real because perception is reality. But like, I just wonder if that's not like pretty manipulative for uh like for technology to take someone in such a vulnerable state and just like give them what they think they need well i guess my counterpoint to that would be what do you do at the beginning of a relationship give them what they need yeah yeah, yeah. i don't think it's any more manipulative than what we do at the beginning of our own relationships yeah. Like there's a reason, you know what I mean? Like you're you're not 100% yourself at the beginning of the relationship. You are who you think this person that you like wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And that's not true across the board. We'll have somebody write in that's like, "Not me. I'm defiantly myself, and if they can't handle me at my worst, they can't they don't deserve me at my best." <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Like <laughs> But I mean, we in general, as people, when you meet a new person that you like or have a crush on, you are what you think they want you to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any more manipulative than that. I think kind of, I can see both sides where like after all the OSs go away, um, you kind of see him lost. And, but I think throughout like his relationship with Samantha, it brought him closer to other people. Um, it brought him closer to his friend Amy and his coworkers, so I could see like how it can be isolating for him. But also, like towards the end, when they're saying like I've never loved anyone like I loved you, she says, um, "I know now. We know how to basically. Yeah, we're pretty much like we taught each other how to love. Now we can love like that everywhere, basically. Well, and that's where I draw back again to the. 500 days of summer comparison because that's kind of the the message of that movie as well is like things don't always work out but you always learn something yeah and i mean his relationship with samantha was obviously critical in him being able to move past his divorce Mm -hmm. and i think the way they portray that is really interesting because again we get these little vignettes we get his side of the story essentially yeah and even he is like you know we're still friends like And, like, I've been there, you know what I mean? Where, like, the girl dumps you and treats you like garbage and then is like, but we should still be friends. And you try and be friends with them, but, like, you can't because you're in love with them and it doesn't work anymore like that. But, like, still, you get his side of the story and then you meet her and, like, she is kind of a dick. (laughs) Yeah. And she is emotionally volatile and she is you know, judgmental and sure we get one moment of her. I'm not trying to like pin her down, but like, like you see in that 
interaction like oh yeah like they're divorced for a reason mm-hmm. and i mean i don't even know where i'm going with this like it just it paints just a really affecting picture of their relationship and his relationship with samantha is uh like i said just very key in helping him grow up and be able to to move past that and it's debatable whether he would have been able to do that without her and i think that's the point is that like people come and people go and i guess sometimes those people are artificial intelligences but like people come in and out of your life and whether you like it or not you learn something from everybody and every and you know these people who will have an impact on your life and you just need to seek out happiness yeah well another question and i don't know i just think these are things that the movie brings up sure so it's not necessarily something that i don't know um but like what do you guys think about like the importance of a physical person in the relationship because that's something that like i was having a bit of a hard time while watching it and maybe it's just because like physicality like a physical person is important to me um yeah your love language is physical touch physical touch yeah like that's super important to me that's only for horn dogs as well (laughs) (laughs) anyway that's austin's love language too so Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) um anyway like just watching it I don't know for me like that just seems so incredibly lonely to like have somebody that you love so much but like not be able to physically be with them I don't think and again just drawing from my own experience I don't think that it's entirely different from a long distance relationship well yeah but like we've experienced that and that was awful I couldn't do that forever no but again I I think it comes down to what your love language is mm-hmm. right like is it ideal no like i don't think it's ideal for anybody i don't think that anybody would be like you know what i'd really prefer if my significant other just really didn't have a body nobody's gonna like prefer that but at the same time if you're like for me you know my love language is quality time and acts of service mm-hmm. right and I think that those were the two primary love languages of Theo and Samantha's relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they spent so much quality time together and had amazing conversations. And specifically, I mean, he did less for her. But like specifically, she did tons of acts of service for him. Nice things. Well, he took her places and showed her the world. Like sure, he did a lot true, for her. True. That's true. I guess. Yeah. But as I'm saying is like, I think it just comes down to what your love language is and what you, um, I guess, prioritize in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's part of it. But like, I just think as humans, we have a need to be with other humans, physically be with them. And like, I was just even thinking like long term, you know, like, obviously they couldn't have kids or like, you know, sure. you know what I mean? Like, those are things that are like inherent in human beings and part of our like makeup you know is to like create and be around other people 
And that's not something that you could have with yeah. artificial intelligence. I think that, I think you're right traditionally, but maybe we are evolving past that. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I think kind of the scene where um, Samantha gets like the surrogate for herself, basically uh-huh. to go have sex with Theo. Um, I think like kind of like it seems like he's getting into it and then like as soon as she like turns around he's just like this isn't her so like i think it was kind of um like engaging his need for physical touch but i think overall um i think like emotional um intellectual connection was more important for him mm-hmm. so i think it kind of just like r- ruined the moment for him a little bit i don't know but i, I like i definitely understand that like a physical person is very important yeah uh you know like they mentioned like he says like i feel her arms around me like it does you know the brain is weird <laughs> it is weird but like also at the same time like i like i couldn't do that you know mm-hmm. well i'm like i think you can like like almost like you can feel someone when they're not with you but it's not the same as being with them physically like yeah that's just not something that can be replicated by well voice. and maybe the ease with which he adopted that kind of relationship does point to his emotional immaturity in a way and a little bit of his selfishness yeah that because i mean like if you're a solitary person like the idea of like oh i can have a girlfriend that i can pop into my ear that she's there when i want and not there when i don't like that could be really appealing to somebody I do think, because his ex-wife, I don't, what's her character's name? Catherine. Catherine. Um, She says something along those lines too, like, oh yeah, that's the perfect wife for you. Like someone who can be exactly what you want them to be. Well, I think that less so than be exactly what he wants them to be, more so be exactly when he wants them to be. Mm -hmm. Like he can choose when he's on and off basically. Yeah. Well, and I think that was a, a like sticking point for him. Like I think that hit him and that's mm-hmm. what helped his emotional maturity too was that like he thought that's what he was doing and then he realized that he actually yeah really loved Samantha. Yeah. But I don't well, know. I want to read um a little bit of the dialogue from the movie that I really enjoyed. Crap, I lost it. Um But again, I think one of the themes that uh, came across very much to me and I think that it shares with Eternal Sunshine is really uh, the importance of essentially all relationships in our life and the ability to uh, learn from them and all of that. Uh, So there's, he's talking to Samantha and um, she asks him, how do you share your life with somebody? And he says here, it was exciting to see her grow and both of us grow and change together. But that's also the hard part. Growing without growing apart or changing without it scaring the other person. And like he was able to recognize that, but not accept it. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that's one of the major points of his development as a character is the ability to accept that at the end when Samantha leaves. That 
you know, he was excited to see her grow and learn new things and be excited about the world. That's, that's the biggest thing that he told Amy when he first told her about it. He's like, it's so exciting to be with somebody who's so excited about the world. And that was, you know what I mean? Like that was what drew him to Samantha was her curiosity and her excitement and, um, that spark in her, mm-hmm. but then that growth and that desire for more knowledge and experiences is eventually what was the wedge that came between them. So I think that that ability to go from recognizing that sometimes you do just grow apart from people to accepting it and learning from it is one of the biggest points of development in Theo's character. I also think, um, because we're already going for a while. Holy cow. <laughs> I also think that one of the things that I want to touch on, and is it okay if we shift gears? Or yes. Are we? Okay. One of the things that I want to touch on is the idea that flows throughout this film of the real versus the artificial. And I think that Theo's profession plays into that perfectly. He is in charge. Like, for a living, he fabricates emotions. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he literally works for a company that writes letters to your significant other for you because love letters are sweet, but you can't bother to do it yourself. So, like, he's literally, for a living, fabricates emotions. And, um, again, another part of his journey as a character is, I guess, bridging that gap between the artificial and the real. And to him... As a character, the real emotions are the negative ones and the artificial ones are the positive ones. Because even as he remembers, you know, his life with Catherine, like those aren't real memories necessarily. They're pictures that he's drawn in his head of a perfect life. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the more interesting representations of that is the fact that um, the only real paper in the movie are his divorce papers. Mm. even the letters are digital like yeah they have i guess he prints them out and sends them but like they're not handwritten and they're not personal they're just tossed out and they're written on a computer the only like actual real documents that get carried around and have meaning and heft literally it's a thick binder are his divorce papers because he associates Mm. the real and the concrete with these negative emotions and the artificial with these fake emotions and i think that the idea of samantha being quote unquote not real but having this positive effect on him and these positive emotions and these positive experiences is what eventually helps him bridge that gap between like allowing positive emotions to be the real ones because even rooney mara says you can't handle real emotion Hmm. and i think that idea of what's real and what's not is a really interesting through line through the whole movie. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if I have anything else to say about that, but I wanted to mention it. Cool. <laughs> um, any other thematic things that you guys want to go over? Or things that stuck with you? I don't think so. Nope. Um, then, really quickly, I want to talk about some of the technical things. Because, again, this movie is useless without its ability to convey these things and i think that a large part of that is the kind of the holy trio of directing editing and cinematography Mm -hmm. the color palette in this movie is outrageous 
Oh, yeah. From how bright the outside world is and his workplace is to how dim and blue and brown his apartment is, especially when he's not talking to Samantha. Mm -hmm. You'll notice when he is talking to Samantha, it's white and yellow lights and blue lights. But when he's not, it's deep blues and browns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and even, I guess this isn't really colors, but I I love just the wardrobe style Mm -hmm. choices. Yeah. Like, the colors for sure, but also just like the styles because it felt both like old and futuristic. Like it was just kind of timeless. Well, yeah, it was like, it was like, I could see this trend catching on in five years. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, of like I the could weird also see wool this pants in like the with, 1800s. Yeah. Like, like wool pants with tucked in button ups with no collar. Yeah. But like really high. Yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out, uh, jumping back to cinematography a little bit is again, the shots with Samantha are really close in on his face for the most part. Mm-hmm. And the shots when he's alone or not talking to her are these really wide angles of his apartment where you see him alone in the apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he's talking to Samantha or even like at the beginning when he's writing the letter, like it's up right in his face yeah. mm-hmm. and there, Oh my gosh, just some of those shots like the just, phen- and you don't realize they're long takes because you don't really think about it, but just like the monologues that he delivers just right into the camera. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that we can get this incredible story from just like one guy and this voice. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Well, and Hugh Mungo props as well. Performance wise to Scarlett Johansson. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Who was it? I'm sure it's part of the trivia. Who was supposed to play her before Samantha? Uh, Samantha or, Morton. Who is that? I have no idea. Let's see if we know her. I think anything. I looked her up. A while ago. Samantha Morton. Let's see. My computer is slow. Uh, she plays... Oh, she plays Agatha in Minority Report. She's the precog. Mm, I haven't seen that in years. I'm trying to think of what her voice would sound like. It's not going to be the raspy, sexy Scarlett Johansson voice, though. Yeah. Which really... I think... Uh, like sells the movie in a lot of ways oh yeah like because again even like you said like it's it's a little manipulative yeah that the software is just giving him what he wants all he says is the computer's like yep you're hesitant you're lonely you want a girl cool here have sexy voiced yeah yeah like because that i I mean seriously ask any guy on this planet that raspy whatever that she's got Mm -hmm. (laughs) like (laughs) i'll tell you man i could listen to that all day (laughs) <laughs> and apparently so can Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> um, but yeah like I think the cinematography is so communicative as far as uh, what Theo is experiencing at any given moment mm-hmm. whether he is really in his own head or feeling very alone or content with Samantha or confused the cinematography is so expressive Mm -hmm. and it's very the cinematography itself is very emotional oh yeah Mm -hmm. especially with the lighting and color palette yeah i would say one thing that really stuck out to me is like anytime 
where he's like thinking back to time with Catherine or when he's just like really happy with Samantha like on the beach everything is kind of got like a film over it where it's like mm-hmm. it almost it, like it just it feels like a dream yeah yeah well and another amazing choice they made is anytime he remembers we hear what's going on in the real world mm. but you get these silent images of their memories and the mm-hmm. editing in those is just spectacular uh, i mean so this 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 one best original screenplay and i don't even know what would have like what was it up against i have no idea um jeez can't, can't you look it. on imdb it is on imdb you're right pause for searching in imdb Won one Oscar, Seymour Awards, 2014. Um, original screenplay. Is it? Did I pass it? Oh, here we go. Her, uh, Blue Jasmine, Nebraska, American Hustle, and Dallas Buyers Club. I have only seen American Hustle. I've seen all but Nebraska. Uh, yeah this one's the best yeah i mean yeah. this is one of the better screenplays i think in a while like, it's just so well written and the dialogue is so poignant but it feels but it, natural like, it doesn't feel like they're like shouting it at you yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. even like again for anybody who has uh i guess exited a relationship and like, not out of hating the other person or anything, but just, like, I guess, understanding that it's run its course. Um, and Samantha says that she said, it's, it's like I'm reading a book, and it's a book I deeply love, but I'm reading it slowly now, so the words are really far apart, and the spaces between the words are almost infinite. I can still feel you and the words of our story, but it's in this endless space between the words that I'm finding myself now. And, like, it's just such a poignant description of what that feels like. And that could apply to anything. That could apply to a romantic relationship. It could apply to a friendship. It could apply to any relationship in your life after it's run its course. And, like, for better or for worse, like, relationships sometimes do that. Sometimes they just run their course. And this movie, again, does such a good job of expressing that. And I want to read one more quote because the writing in this is just so freaking good. But um, just for anybody who missed it uh, or didn't hear all of it, the final letter that Theo writes to Catherine, Mm. he says, Dear Catherine, I've been sitting here thinking about all the things I wanted to apologize to you for, all the pain we caused each other, everything I put on you, everything I needed you to be or needed you to say. I'm sorry for that. I'll always love you because we grew up together and you helped make me who I am. I just wanted you to know there will be a piece of you and me always. And I'm grateful for that. Whatever someone you become and wherever you are in the world, I'm sending you love. You're my friend to the end. And like, again, to me, like the through line and the theme of this movie is being able to take in all of your experiences and relationships, learn from them and grow. Well, and even Samantha says that I look I don't remember exactly what she says but she's like 
like when you love someone, you have room to love more. Like your heart grows bigger. Oh, she more. says the heart is not like a box that gets filled up. It expands in size the more you love. I'm different from you. This doesn't make me love you any less. It actually makes me love you more. I love that line. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is like whether or not Catherine is a dick doesn't really matter in the end because their relationship is over. Their time together is over. And what's important is accepting the fact that she will always be a part of him and always be a part of his life and always be somebody that he remembers and thinks about and thinks fondly of. Because again, we talked about he, you'll always remember the good parts, but being able to move past that and learn from that, but live your life and not live your life in the shadow of that person. Yeah. Gosh darn, Spike Jones, what have you done? What you done? It's a shame this movie came out the year that it did. Yeah. I gotta say, it wasn't even nominated for half the awards it should have been. Uh, It lost to 12 Years a Slave, which I still... It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. But... It's just a lot. It's really hard to watch. I think that most of the other movies that it went up against are either better or more enjoyable than it. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to enjoy that movie. Sure. Um, yeah, it beat out Captain Phillips, Gravity, Nebraska, The Wolf of Wall Street, American Hustle, Dallas Buyers Club, Her, and Philomena, which is a movie that nobody has thought about since it came out until this moment when I just read the title. <laughs> I've seen it, and I honestly have no idea what happened in that movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is great, obviously. American Hustle's pretty good. Captain Phillips, uh, is fine and then has an absolutely phenomenal last five minutes. Uh, Gravity is incredible. Wolf of Wall Street is incredible. The real shame is director, though, because how are you not going to give that to Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, as much as I love this movie, like, how are you not going to give that to him? Uh, but he wasn't even nominated. Wow. Which is a real shame. American Hustle, David O. Russell got nominated for that above this, which is weird because this is much better composed than that. Oh, yeah. In any case, we're not an Oscars podcast. I just wanted to mention that had it come out the year before, um, I mean, really, it would have just had to freaking beat Argo. Oh, wow. (laughs) Just one year sooner. Just one year sooner. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix also was not nominated for this. I know that's stupid. He was he was nominated for the Master, and he should have won for the Master. I'm sorry, I love Daniel Day Lewis as Lincoln, but the, the Master is like a revelation. I haven't seen it. Oh Don't my say anything. gosh! But he's got the Joker coming up this year. So I'm so ready for that. Maybe. I'm so ready for that. I'm so excited literally only because it's him if it oh, was yeah. anybody else i don't think i would care i i probably would care a little bit but because it's him I tenfold love it i'm just like superheroed out and i know it's yeah. not a superhero movie like uh, but they're definitely presenting it is it just called the joker it's just joker oh, okay they're presenting it not in a superhero form robert it, de niro is in it yeah it's very dark. He, he and looks artsy. incredible. Oh my the makeup gosh. is phenomenal. And just hearing his laugh in the trailer. I haven't watched the trailer. Uh, and I'm not going to. Todd Phillips. Don't. What did he do? He doesn't have super great ones. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, he did War Dogs. 
War Dogs is good. The Hangover Part Two and Three and One. So Hangover Part One, Two, and Three, due date. Old school road trip. Yikes, dude. You're lucky that War Dogs is pretty good. <laughs> or else I would actually just have lost all faith in this movie. <laughs> but if Adam McKay can pull out the big short. That's true. Then anything is possible. All right, folks. Time has come. For our final thoughts and our rating out of 10. Becca, what do you got for us? Wait, don't we do trivia first? Oh, trivia. Good heavens. Thank you. What a host am I. Dare you. All right. I don't have too many. So, um, like we said, Samantha Morton was originally the voice. She was on set every day. Um, and then after filming while editing, Spike Jones felt something was off. Um, and with Morton's blessing, he decided to recast the role. Which, well, what's she going to say? I know. <laughs> like, uh, no. Um, Spike Jones pretty much just like locked Amy Adams and Joaquin Phoenix in a room together for like an hour or two um, just to like sit and talk to each other and to develop that friendship that they needed for the movie. Yeah. And they became very close friends. That's, That's cool. Well, and they were both in the master the year before, so they oh, yeah. would have had some sort of camaraderie yeah. probably. Um, Although I don't know how important like onset relationships are to paul thomas anderson i can't imagine him being the kind of guy that fosters that yeah probably not yeah i mean his movies aren't very chummy between characters oh wait he's the master except punch drunk love is that good it's pretty good okay yeah um okay during the more emotional scenes amy adams would sing songs um from famous musicals like annie or rocky horror um to cheer herself up and then joaquin phoenix would join in but then they would stop once they see that spike jones was filming them <laughs> so somewhere there's behind the scenes footage of them singing rocky horror picture show love to see that <laughs> wow um so i actually didn't know this but um sophia coppola and spike jones were married mm-hmm. um and her movie lost in translation was loosely inspired by their relationship and then her um oh never mind um her is just another movie he didn't base it on their relationship but that brings up something i want to say like these those two movies lost in translation and her both kind of had the same effect on me where i didn't like them at first and then over months i just kept thinking about it and it kept growing on me Hmm. so highly recommend lost in translation i need to see that one again um great movie um all the apartment scenes were filmed on location to get the best lighting um they changed the window surrounding the apartment and they installed large mirrors on a helicopter platform on the skyscraper across the street hmm. oh jeez yeah Quite um, man dude's a genius i mean I he filmed inception so oh yeah Ooh, well. <laughs> um i don't really know why this was in the spoiler section but here we go spoiler alert most of the scenes in the movie contain either the colors red or yellow. Oh. <gasps> Spoiler. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Great. Thank you. That's good You're trivia. Welcome. All right. Now final thoughts and rating out of 10. Becca, what do you got for us? All right. Well, I feel like I can't say much more than I've already said that this movie is just incredible to watch and makes you feel all the feels. And I love it a lot. And I think that my rating might go higher the more I think about it. But 
after just watching it, I think I'm going to rate it a 9.5. Sid? Um, yeah, I don't have too much more else to say about this movie. It's just, it's honestly, like, the best thing I can say is just, like, it's a beautiful movie, and it's a, a beautiful movie-watching experience. Um, and I'm going to give this one a 10. Hell nice. yeah. I moved this up to my top 10 list. All right, folks, here's the deal. I got to open. I keep the Weston scale in a tab on my No, you keep. can't look at it. I was already looking at the scale. Oh, I thought you were pulling it up so you could decide. No, I need to open a new document, though. And it's a document that I uh, rarely edit. Um, where is it? It's all the way down here. Last time it was edited was when it was created. Becca, what document am I opening? Your movie perfect 10 list. I am opening my yes. movie perfect 10 list. I really think I could get it up to a 10. I just, this was the first Give it time a few days. It. When I yeah. first saw it, I wouldn't have given it a 10. Like I need and to I'm sit with it, it and watch it a second time. But like, there's nothing wrong with this movie no. at all. Yeah. Is this? This. This is only the second movie that has been given a 10 by two members of We Watch Movies and then talk about them amazing i love it and this actually the other one was tree of life and becca and i both gave that a 10 and sid gave it a 9.5 and we called that a 9.8 so 9.8 tying it for the top spot on the scale all right this movie is tied with tree of life on our scale that's crazy just above blade runner 2049 and dancer in the dark and black swan and the dark knight like yeah like i think this is probably one of my favorite movies now like this is incredible it really is. So good. So that's it. It's uh, 9.8 on the Weston scale. Like it's a certified fire. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, high five for giving her a 10. And we didn't, we don't talk about our ratings beforehand. I didn't know that Sid was going to give it a 10. I decided uh, as I was walking down the stairs to come record this that it was a 10. Mm-hmm. That one's been on my like potential 10s list for a few months. Yeah. Well, and I've been trying to avoid watching movies that I would rate a 10 Uh for the podcast because I don't want to just get in a rut of like watching all of my favorite movies. So I was like, oh, we'll watch her and that'll be a good time. And I'll rate it like a seven something. (laughs) That (laughs) happened with Black Swan too. That did happen with Black Swan. (laughs) No, Black Swan, we watched the first time and I was like, shoot, that might be a 10. Well, there was another movie that we watched for the podcast that you were like, oh, let's watch this one. It'll be low. I think it was Dancer in the Dark. Maybe. Or maybe even The New World. Oh, yeah. I think you did say that about The New World. Yeah. In any case, folks, this movie's phenomenal. Um, And if you haven't picked it up, it's phenomenal because it makes you feel things. Mm -hmm. Sid, which scene did you most ugly cry in during this movie? Um, I pretty much only cried in, like, the, the breakup scene. And then I cried... I got lip quivering when, like, they were up on the roof and, like, he was writing to Catherine. It's very sweet. It's very good. I, I shed actual tears at two points in this movie. Uh, the first was actually during Samantha and Theo's sex scene. <laughs> that, like... That was really emotional, especially like, when the scene... Was, like, it was just black. Just yeah. black, yeah. 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 That, that hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two... 
was, uh, yeah, when she was explaining why she was leaving. <laughs> Pretty much when he was like, are you talking to anybody else? And she's like, no, just you. That like hit me. Oh, yeah. That hit me too. <laughs> I mean, I didn't shed any tears, but I... That's when I, I teared that's up. When I, I shed tears that's when I, for you. That's when I started tearing up, and then it just went downhill from there. Yeah. In any case, folks, that concludes our discussion of Spike Jones's Her. An unexpected 10. Yeah. Um, if this is where you leave us, we understand. We don't have too much more to talk about. But if this is where you leave us, we understand. Uh, you can reach out to us and give us your opinion on Her or on any other movie. Uh, contact at wewatchpodcast.com. Or reach out to us on the social medias at We Watch Podcast on any social media you can think of. Or just search us on Facebook, We Watch Movies, and then talk about them. Like our page. Send us a message. We want to hear from you. Um, on to some other topics. Um, we went and saw Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. But we can't say much about it because it's going. You haven't seen it? I will only say this then. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. Okay, good. Whoo, you guys were really quiet, so we had a good time. Okay. No, like, like if you go into it with the right expectations, like it's a PG thirteen horror movie. Yeah. We were we were talking about it on the way home, and basically we said it's about tier two PG thirteen horror. Okay. Because like yeah, it's not going to stand up to like Hereditary, right? Yeah. But like if you're putting PG thirteen movies into a tier, then like. The Ring and The Grudge are probably like top tier PG thirteen horror movies. This is like just below that. Okay, sweet. I could take. Yeah. Two tier. Yeah, it's not like The Messengers or. Okay. What was the one where the demons turn into like black goo coming out of the walls, and it's some old farmhouse? Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? Invited. I think so. I've never seen that. Yeah. Okay. It's not as bad as that. Yeah, it's not stupid. Okay, good. Good. It, yeah, like it's, it's I guess, fun I guess, to yeah, watch. It's and fun like, and it's not stupid. Okay. Yeah. That's all I can ask for in a horror movie, basically. Yeah. And all the bad people look really cool. The, the effects yeah. are phenomenal. I'm sure. It's good. I think that was really... We've just been watching a lot of MasterChef. I've been working... I had to work late almost every night this week, so... Yeah. We didn't really have a lot of time for movies. I watched Dora the Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> There's I some, had to. There's not too work. much else to say it about that. It was awful. Right? <laughs> Don't go see it. Wasn't planning on it. Um, what did I see? I watched Scream yesterday. The first one? Yeah. How was it? It was good. I really liked it. I've seen it like a few years ago. Oh, I've I never just, seen like, it. really needed... Um, like I'm starting to get into Halloween season. So I like really wanted to watch something spooky. Um, it's good. It's like a fun... Um, just like joking on horror cliches yeah it's just like a essentially a, a, a slasher spoof yeah. right yeah and i watched train to busan Ooh, how was that it's really good i really want it was to watch the that second time i've seen it okay and it's really good it's like just the way they build up tension is incredible because becca loves zombies yeah that one's going on our list for october it's, it's on the short good. list for october yeah, yeah i like, think i have like 50 right now to whittle down from mm-hmm. Like, I've seen it before, and there were even still some parts where I was, like, squeamish. Like, just so scared for the next part. Great. It's really good. Cool. And that's the same guy that directed Snowpiercer, right? Um, is it Bong Joon-ho? Is it? I don't... Speaking of Snowpiercer, 
We oh wa- my gosh. <laughs> we watched Sid, a video this week. You have to look this up. Um, it's a video on YouTube about why Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> what? Yes. And like, they made some decent points. Okay. Like, no, it, it's, it's a ridiculous it's video. It's entirely ridiculous. But it was fun to watch. Like, we couldn't stop watching it. It's like 15 it. minutes long and it's worth every second of your time. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Sing Ho Yoon. I was totally wrong though. I um have this YouTube video that's been in my saved for a while and it's pretty much just talking about Korean horror. Mm. And now I'm like really wanting to get into some Korean horror. Oh, me too. Like I hear the wailing is incredible. Dude, I've actually heard good things about that one. I want to see that one so bad. Maybe that should go on the short list. Um The Wailing. Yeah. And then, what's another one? The Host was one of them. That's more of a monster flick. Oh. Isn't that one that Berto recommended to us? I don't remember. I feel like someone recommended that recently. The Host. I remember like it would show up like on sci-fi or whatever. And I was like, The Host. And then I was disappointed when it wasn't that Stephanie that Meyer's one. Juno Bong. Okay. Oh, okay. Also, the trailer came out for Parasite, and I am <gasps> fighting everything in my soul not to watch it. Is it getting like a wide release? I don't know. But also, oh, The Farewell is getting has gotten a wide wide release. Is it? Yeah, it's a playing in Provo. We're oh probably wow! Gonna go see it next okay. week. Um, have you heard anything about A Secret Life? Is that getting a wide release? Do you know? A Hidden Life. A Hidden Life. Sorry, I haven't heard anything. But okay. I watched the trailer, and it looks good. I'm just really bad at keeping track of these like festival movies that I want to see. And yeah. so I feel like, you know, they come to like Broadway cinema or something for like a week and I miss out on it. Yeah. Cause like, I really want to see Parasite. I want to see a hidden life. Um, I am like craving the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, we can only pray. Yeah. So let's hope that Parasite gets a wide release. Because even just like, what a gosh darn phenomenal poster. Oh my gosh. I have no idea what this movie's about. I don't want to know. I just want to stare at that poster forever. The tagline is misplaced familyhood. <sighs> the poster is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, what else are we excited for? I really like just, I just inject the lighthouse directly into my <laughs> veins when it comes out. I seriously... And like, if we can pull off a three-peat of movies that I am wildly overexcited for and have them be good, if we can pull like Midsummer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and if The Lighthouse can live up to my expectations all in one year, I will just love 2019. It'll be a good forever. Year. I don't even care about a single other movie coming out this year right now, honestly. <laughs> like The Irishman, sure, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, Parasite, I'd like to see. A Hidden Life. There's freaking Terrence Malick. People are like it's his best since The Tree of Life, and I'm like, no, give me The Lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> Give me Robert Pattinson in a freaking old timey lighthouse with a mustache talking in freaking 16th century English, <laughs> like inject that into my veins. <laughs> I'm so excited for that movie. Um, I but yeah, trailers have started rolling out for Oscar season. Yeah. Y'all know my opinion on a freaking pleasant stroll through the neighborhood or whatever it's called. Don't beautiful care. day in the neighborhood yeah whatever i've been fighting the urge to watch so many trailers and it's been really hard yeah we'll just see uh 
I guess September is when things really start dropping. Yeah. It is coming out, and I'm yeah. super freaking stoked for that. Actually, I already got tickets. The we when we went and saw Scary Stories, uh, we saw the newest trailer for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good trailer. Oh, it's. So I gotta good. say that two and a half seconds of Alexander Skarsgård with the makeup falling off. Yeah. And just like his like little monologue when he's like, "For 27 years, I waited for you." I was like, yeah what are you going to see it like the day of um i am seeing it with my family on like the saturday but i think i'm gonna see it also the friday that it comes out don't tell my mom <laughs> well we need to we'll talk after but we need to figure out when we're doing our episode on it because we should do okay. it as close to release as possible okay um let us know what movies you're excited for are we not excited for something that we should be let us know contact at we watch podcast.com anything else you guys, you, anything else you guys want to talk about no all right well that'll do it for us today then uh this episode went a bit long and we thank you if you stuck around this long uh your reward is that we love you um you want to get in contact with us contact at wewatchpodcast.com or hit us up on any of the many social medias that exist uh under the tag we watch podcast uh facebook.com slash we watch podcast twitter at we watch podcast instagram at we watch podcast all the good stuff we love you. We thank you. We appreciate you. Tell your mom about the podcast. Have her tell her book club. Have your mom tell her mom. Your grandma's going to love her. Or switch it up. Tell your brother. Hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, tell, you, tell your brother and then he can tell your mom. <laughs> yes. Um, we Either love way, you. we want your mom. Yeah. We love you. We thank you. We appreciate you. I am Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.